Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today, I have with me the founder of SRK Pools, Steve Kenny. Hey, Steve, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, John. How are you? Doing? Good, good, good. Let me ask you a, a quick question. Did you grow up out here? Yes, I did. Yep. In East Hampton. So you're a local. Yes. I am. I'm local. <laughs> <laughs> There's local few and crazy. far between. You know that. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, so how did you... Okay, how did you start to to have an interest in in water and basically in pools? You know, having clean water. Yeah, well, there's a similarity. I I have a culinary background. I went to the Culinary Institute up in Hyde Park, and there's a lot of um, similarities between food and water, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. I feel like that. You know, I'm I'm selling the experience. I'm not selling a product. So I think when you come down to thinking about a good dining experience and a good swimming experience, the two of them are very very similar. Wow. And that's the way I kind of look at this. So this is where we're at. That's cool. So um, how did SRK Pool start and when? Good Lord. Uh, we started back in the mid 80s. Uh, my dad, my two brothers and myself. And one brother went into law, one went into film. And my dad slowly retired after maybe eight years working together. And then I'm uh, working with your dad. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah, because I, I know a lot of sons, you know, yep. I when I was 14, I worked with my dad and uh, um, I couldn't wait to s- stop working with him. <laughs> 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 anyway, that's great. So you have this passion for pools. How did that mm-hmm. come about also? Well, I, I got out of the restaurant business and started working in the pool business. And then I noticed that there was a great opportunity to really perfect it and make it even a better experience. And like I said, I'm always driving towards the customer experience, which is really important. So I just, I don't know, there's something about the water. I just love being around water and mm-hmm. I don't like the chaos of the restaurant business. I wasn't a fan of that. It was just too much. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. Right. Understood. So, yeah. I just liked. I, I've been in the kitchen also, so I know. <laughs> like, yeah, chaos. it's, it's a, a tough life. You don't see your family on the weekends or at nights. And, you know, I really wanted more of a life. So I thought it was important to have a balance. Basically, you're married to the restaurant business. What happens? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Um, you were on the program, I, I'm guessing it's maybe eight years ago. And mm-hmm. at that time, you were at the cutting edge of pools back with back then with a mm-hmm. system that eliminated uh, chlorine from pools. So much so that uh, people went back to swimming at the Maidstone because of you. Can you tell mm-hmm. us about that story? Yeah, well, that was that was the Maidstone. Um, there's there's a lot of those situations that we've been dealing with now, and I think the problem is is like a lot of people are under the misunderstanding that water is supposed to smell like chlorine and it's supposed to burn your eyes and your skin. And I find that when you follow the science between oxidation, sanitation, filtration, and a good turnover rate, you're going to find the experience to be a lot different than if, as if you were swimming in a pool that wasn't attending to those needs. So I don't want to speak too much about the Maidstone because they have their privacy clauses there. So I think it's, it's 
better that we just speak about. Yeah, just leave it there. Water. No yeah. problem. I just I understand it. So has much changed since that time? Oh yes, with the system. Oh, amazing. Yes. Well, yes. since then I I built a little lab at my house where I built a I have a bunker with all the equipment that I like to experiment with, and what I do is I design and experiment with these pieces of equipment to find out what's the best way to have my client have a perfect experience. So I'm not, I'm not experimenting on them. I'm experimenting on my family and myself. So I have, you know, small, large grade ozone systems of 50 grams an hour into a medium pressure UV system. I've got CO2 gas feeds with PPM controllers and activated glass media filtration. It's just a really fascinating dynamic. And to watch this water come to life and be consistently perfect each and every time, whether 10 or 20 people are swimming in it or no one's swimming in it. It's just, it's so brilliant. And the water just speaks to you because it's just, it's just the most amazing experience. So it's. So the, the element of chlorine is out of the picture? Well, no, I use a trace amount of chlorine. I think it's important. Uh, I like to have at least 0.6 parts per million, which is what the health department regulates out here for Suffolk County. Um, 0.6 parts per million is really important to have some kind of trace amount of chlorine for bather to bather contamination. If you sneezed in the water or spit in the water or something else, at least you have one layer of protection. Then we use the ozone for oxidation, which also helps the chlorine free and available to fight bacteria. So it's constantly oxidizing that water. That's another layer of protection. And then we have the UV system as well, which acts as a third layer of protection. And all of these three or four or five, you know, depending on the filtration and the glass media, all these play and interact beautifully together. And it's like a nice marriage and it just works just beautifully. But, you know, they're expensive and it's not easy to assemble. It takes a little knowledge and you have to stretch your comfort zone a little bit and get out of your own way. Mm. Or I, I found I had to I should speak for myself. Right, right. At first, I was like, oh, I've been doing this way for 20 years. It's fine. But I was like, even when I talked to you 10 years ago, I said, there's got to be, I could do better than this. You know, I, and I just kept trying to perfect it. And it's just been really exciting now. So you feel close to that? To Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, no. I The system at my house is dialed in. That's, like I said, not only my lab, but it's my showroom. And I'll bring clients there and let them swim in it to experience it. Huh. Because it's really hard to talk about. It's hard to convince people that are so stuck in thinking a certain way for 30 or 40 years about water to tell them that there's something better. They just don't believe you. So right. I felt it was better to build this place and let people experience it and see it. And every time they do, they fall in love with it. And it's probably my, it is the go-to for selling that water. Wow. Yeah. Um, what about salt water? I mean, yeah. you know, a lot of people say, oh, my pool's salt, you know. Yeah. It, it was a good idea in the beginning and they pitched it as a chlorine-free solution, which I had a big problem with. Um, basically, you're using a lot, a lot of salt in the water. You're using 800 to 1,000 pounds of salt to generate this sodium into sodium hypochlorite, which is still liquid shock. But they, it has, there's consequences to doing that, which is you, know, you got straight current, you got to deal with electrolysis, you've got to deal with pH drift, you got to constantly drop the pH because the, the index is constantly bouncing around and corroding and scaling constantly. So for a person like myself that's really picky about water chemistry, those create more of a havoc than they're worth. And I'd rather just have a client go straight chlorine only and not a saltwater system if it comes down to that. Well, um, results. Yeah. I was just thinking, uh, can you renovate? Uh, you know, people have like say standard pools and they had their pool put in five years ago mm -hmm. and they want to take uh, part of your, your system. In other words, uh, what you're, you're espousing and can you do that? Can you go in there oh, and say, Oh absolutely. yes, you know, we can get rid of this chlorine. We can cut down on this. Oh yeah. No, you can cut the chlorine value about 95%. Wow. 
So we'll, we'll go in and we'll just, normally when we take on a new project like that, we'll look at the renovation there and we'll see what, there's all these little pieces to the puzzle that need to be replaced. It's not just one piece. And that's the biggest problem with the industry. Everyone's looking for that silver bullet. I want this and it has to be this one piece of the puzzle that makes it happen. And there is no easy medicine like that. Right. Yeah. There's lots of little pieces. Now, do you handle the uh, permitting process to get a pool? Yes. We also do the construction, renovation, and service. So we do everything, which is how we got it. Yeah. We got forced into construction for that reason, because I know I've seen from a service background how to build pools properly. And I know what will make me struggle and what won't make me struggle, but also make the client unhappy. So we just finished an article on that. I can send you, it's in Watershed Magazine about this very topic. Wonderful. Yeah, that'd be great. Now, speaking of the permitting process, um, do you have to go to the health department to get a permit? No, not for residential, only commercial pools. Huh. No, because I, I know uh, Suffolk County uh, got hacked. You know, uh, their computers got hacked. So, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. The, um, so, you know, uh, getting title now, you know, uh, even searching for a title and clear title is difficult because it's they've shut down the offices pretty much. Oh, until, no. Until That's they horrible. correct that. So, but uh, real estate is like at the bottom. It's uh, they're more concerned about uh, the health department, you know, because people, you know, hmm. certain issues, whatnot. But uh, I was wondering if that fell under your uh, uh, bailiwick, but obviously. No, thankfully not. I don't, I try not to get too involved with commercial stuff. Gotcha. Now, you know, I saw a house in Shelter Island and they, I don't know who they, they uh, had come by. But the agents um, representing the house, the sale of the house, I said, can you get a pool in here? And she says, I can't get a straight answer. The town said, you Mm -hmm. have to apply (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we can't tell you if you'll get it or not. And the pool company that they brought in, they said, we can't, we can't tell you. Mm. Now, have you ever run into that where somebody says? Yeah, well, it depends on the zoning and also the the water recharge area and the setbacks. And there's a lot of moving parts, especially on Shelter Island. Uh-huh. So they would need a land planning person to get involved with that to find out what the nuances are with it. Right. So it, it, there's no holdups with uh, permitting. I mean, there's like a lot of people say permits like for building inspections. Yeah. Well, it does take a while. Yeah. No, the permits are taking a while and supplies are hard to get. And it's, you know, the other question I was going to ask you, what about Mm -hmm. supplies? Has there been any issues with that? There are. Um, We've been lucky because I, we pre-ordered everything a year ahead. So we're always a year ahead of ourselves. Wow. We had to get a lot of containers in order to store all that stuff. So we've been lucky that way and knock on wood. Yeah. Great. Yeah. But that's also very smart (laughs) when you think about it. Well, you got to look at your environment. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, what are the pros and cons of a gunite pool as compared to a vinyl pool? It's a good question. Um, I think they're both nice products. And I think some vinyl pools can be very elegant as well. I prefer the gunite because that's what I work with. I don't work with vinyl, so I can't really speak to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that a lot of the people out here prefer the gunite pools just for the uh, property value as well. well. It does have higher resale value. Yeah, I yeah. think so. In my opinion, I'm not sure if that's legitimate for talking to a realtor, but right. we can yeah. ask them. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, can you construct pools in the winter? 
Yeah, we've got a pretty massive tent that we bought that is um, a heated tent. So we can, it's, uh, what, how big is it? I think it's 24 by 70. So right. we can we can pop the tent up. And I, I do most of my renovation work under the tent because the cure times and the, you know, the stuff we're working with, all the cementious stuff needs to be at proper cure times and temperatures. So we, we go year round. Wow. That's great. Yeah. How, if somebody came to you now and said, Steve, can you get me a pool? I want to have a pool. What do you mm-hmm. think the turnaround time? Could they expect that having a pool by spring? Well, if they have a permit in place, yeah. Oh, so you have, first step would be you have to get the permit, and that's right. It's time consuming too. Right, right. You had this uh, other uh, aspect: uh, remote water quality monitoring. How yes, we still do that. Yeah, we're working on two projects now in the city where we actually consult and design the system, and then we help builders that are in that area install it. And then we do a remote monitoring after and then train people on site on how to take care of it. But having that oversight has been really handy for people because they they don't see things that we normally would see because we know what we're looking for. But it also helps us to educate them as well so they can actually start to pick up their game a little bit more. So we're, we're co-working with other builders as well, which has been really handy. Now, does that work? Is it remote in the sense that... Um the balance levels in the pool are going to you or are they going to the homeowner? They can go to all of us. There's an app where you can actually log in. I can see the chlorine levels, the pH levels. I can also see the pump speeds. I can see the water temperatures. I also have the new ozone systems we're having custom designed down in Florida. We'll have a login as well. So I can remote log into that and see what's going on with the oxygen feeds and the compressors. That's fabulous. Um, Steve Kenny, how can we, uh, someone get in touch with you if they had more questions? About water. Yes. Steve at srkpools.com. Yep. And I also have a, a water geek blog that I created on my website, which has all, all this information that I'm talking about. Oh, great. Steve Kenny of SRK Pools. It's a pleasure as always having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in the wonderful village of Southampton, New York on WLIW 88.3 FM, the only NPR station on Long Island. Please stay where you are because we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me the Vice President of Advantage Title, Chris Newsy. Hi, Chris. How are you today? I'm doing great, John. Thank you. Here we go again. We're doing fabulous also. So here we go. Chris, before we talk about the hacking of Suffolk County offices and how that has affected your business, can you uh, educate us as to why a homeowner should have title insurance and what is it? Sure. Um, So title insurance insures against any defects in the chain of ownership of a property, uh, inclusive of things like judgments and liens. So at the time of a purchase, uh, typically, you're also purchasing title insurance to protect yourself as a buyer from any potential defects in the chain of title, ownership chain of title. Okay, so that, that explains that. Um, is it something that you uh, recommend and is it worth having title insurance? Absolutely. Uh, there are not many transactions that I know of, in particular in a market like ours uh, here, that does not uh, end up getting, where a buyer does not end up getting title insurance. And it's, it is typically something that's always recommended by attorneys. 
uh, especially as it relates to these high value transactions that happen. It is not required by law, um, but it nevertheless is something that uh, the attorneys that work on these transactions and the buyers do feel necessary. And one other important note about title insurance, different than other uh, insurance options, is, is that it's a one-time fee uh, that is collected at the closing table, and that's it. You are covered through uh, the life of ownership. So what does the, the, the uh, title company do? In other words, um, what's the process? So we run in the county clerk's office. We look through, uh, going back decades, typically, uh, ownership uh, chains or deeds of ownership, uh, just to show that there's no breaks in ownership or anything else along those lines. Also, you know, some of the things that come up with that are uh, easements and covenants and restrictions, things that could potentially limit use uh, of a property or uh, things that are beneficial uses in terms of the property, uh, that access to the water uh, that someone's looking for, obviously very important in an area out here. Um, It also uncovers things like liens and judgments, any mortgages against the property, uh, foreclosure actions and any uh, contractor's liens, things along those lines that may come up against the property that are important to resolve uh, uh, prior to or at the closing. Right. Um, You know, in Sag Harbor Village, uh, the the lots are uh, tend to be on the small side, uh, especially in the village. And a lot of times, and I've been involved in this, uh, uh, where the fence uh, on the property is is encroaching upon the neighbor's uh, area. How do you deal with something like that? So so we're pretty deliberative in how we deal with that. And we understand that part of doing business, in particular in an area like the eastern end of Long Island, um, it requires uh, del- deliberation and understanding for these potential out-of-possession issues. And they not all are. Um, you know, I personally will, will oftentimes go look at the property, um, see where that fence meanders in and outside of a property line. A lot of times it's because of, um, you know, what are mature edges. Uh, They could be trees, they could be privet hedge, and that impacts the location of a fence. So we don't perceive that uh, necessarily as an out of possession. So we're careful in how we we deal with it. We want to make sure our buyer is protected, but also be as fair to the seller as possible in that if if a fence is inside of of an established and mature tree line, uh, we're we're pretty fair in how we how we address it and deal with it going forward, and using things like uh, affidavits, you know, sellers' affidavits that acknowledge that there's been no claim or something along those lines. Oh, okay. Um, that is inter- interesting what you're saying. I was just thinking of something else. An updated uh, uh, title report is usually asked for by the buyer's attorney. Do you think there's any advantage to a seller to obtain a report before a seller does? Before a buyer does, I should say. Yeah, or at least aspects of. Uh, I have a, a lot of um, friends and, and clients that are real estate agents and attorneys and even buyers and sellers. And, and they often will come to me on, on particular properties and say, hey, can we get a uh, run of the, the deed chain? Or can you take a look at the covenants and restrictions for us uh, or any liens and judgments that may pop up against this house? Because information is power and having that information as early as possible uh, and having the, the the knowledge of what does exist against the property uh, is important and uh, I think can lead to potentially a smoother listing and a smoother process towards closing. So, yeah, I, I definitely 
would recommend that. I know, you know, there are a lot of times where people are fully aware of, of what impacts a property and and they don't necessarily need it. But then there are times where they they think that, okay, there's covenants and restrictions that may weigh against this property or there are uh, judgments against this property and we'd rather know them early on so that we can resolve them leading into the closing. So, uh, so how would a uh, seller uh, go about that? I mean, would they contact you? In other words, a lot of times people hire you because of the attorney's uh, affiliation. So they'll say, yeah, let's use advantage um, to do a title search. I mean, how, how would that work? Yeah, we, we deal with uh, so many different um, people, as I said, real estate agents and attorneys, and we're fortunate to have some of the greatest attorneys and land use professionals and real estate uh, agents, you know, anywhere uh, located out here. So uh, what I tell people is, you know, call me, call me, email me, whatever's easier for you. And um, we can certainly talk through what it is that you, you, you need and wherever we can help, uh, we always have and we certainly continue to. That's that's great to know. I think that's that's great. So let's talk what happened a few weeks ago with regard to uh, Suffolk County with their records being hacked. Uh, how did that affect your business? Well, it, across the industry, the real estate industry, I would say it effectively uh, shut down the ability to to uh, at very least um, engage in new transactions because the the county, I guess, alleged ransomware attack. Uh, shut down the county clerk's office, real property, the police departments, the health departments, everything across the county. And it uh, not only limited, I, I would say for a period of about three weeks, because effective today, uh, it, it, it they actually reopened. Um, the county clerk's office uh, has reopened in terms of examining, we can look at deed chains, we can run continuation searches to see you know, liens and judgments against a property. But for that period of three weeks prior, uh, I would say it, it, it stalled the ability and definitely hindered the ability of companies to, one, do new reports associated with new files, and then also to close um, files. Uh, we, we did it with the, with the assistance of the underwriters, uh, the insurance underwriters, the attorneys, and everyone involved. We certainly uh, continue to close files and are continuing to, uh, but the county reopening today is making a huge difference and making it easier to be able to do so without certain exceptions. Well, you know, I, can, I understand that from the standpoint that uh, if, uh, if it was already ongoing, uh, the, the uh, reporting and the, and the, the title assessment, um, wasn't it though at the closing, they couldn't actually, the um, title people could not actually say, yes, we have clear uh, uh, title to this, you'd have to sign an affidavit. And so it was like a kind of a gamble, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. So, so one of the things that we couldn't do was run what they call continuation searches in the County clerk's office, um, showing what the, any potential uh, more recent filed liens or judgments against the property were. So the title companies were working out ways around that and having uh, potential buyers or sellers sign affidavits um, just because we were not, we were literally unable to to do that research, and I should also add, you know, I want to, irrespective of what happened at the county, uh, the county clerk's office in particular has done an amazing job in getting things back up and running internally, so that at the very least we can send our examiners who we have on staff, as can other companies, into the county clerk's office to continue this process. Because if you think of the the spinoff. 
uh, uh, to the bigger economy, if you were to stall real estate in Suffolk County as a whole, it amounts probably in the, in the billions of dollars and affects anyone from you know, the major real estate developer doing projects up west to the high-end residential communities out east to the people in between and, and you know, the families who have rate locks that are expiring or purchasing their first home. So it affects everyone. Um, and the fact that they are back up and running, at least internally, uh, they, they certainly the county clerk's office and the staff there have been working over the past several weeks around the clock to get there, uh, deserve some credit. And, and, and we appreciate the fact that we can continue to move things along uh, a little more efficiently now. I, I, I agree with you. I think kudos to, uh, to them also, uh, because it must have been a stressful time for you, at least. Yeah, you know, and talking to so many different people and agents and homeowners and, you know, developers, it, it, it was it was odd. You know, we lived through COVID. We all did. And, and when things started to shut down in the beginning and we all adapted and, and, and modified our uh, professional lives then. And then here we go again with this uh, ransomware, alleged ransomware attack, which shut down the county systems. And, you know, we all had to work together to to continue over the past several weeks, continue to get business done. So I would say everybody, you know, hope for the most part successfully did. But we certainly are happy to have like, you know some of those county offices back open, which are an integral part in uh, getting these title reports done and getting from contract to closing. Hmm. Yeah, great. That is great. Um, you were on the Southampton Town Board, and I, I, I think having been there, that gave you some opportunities from the standpoint that, you know, there's certain things that you also, besides being working, doing title, you can expedite like certain issues. Can you explain that a little further? Yeah. You know, I spent a lifetime, you know, grew up out on the Eastern end of Long Island and have a familiarity with the, you know, the process and the people and the regulations. And I was uh, really fortunate to be able to spend two terms on the South Hampton town board. I loved it every minute of it. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that you're coming away from as a lifelong resident and, and working within government, you realize is you understand those regulations, the processes and how things work. So um, where I can help, because these real estate transactions typically rely on closing out permits or getting updated certificates of occupancy, where I can help my clients uh, in that regard, I certainly do. Um, and I found it to be you know very useful to them. And um, you know, that's something that that ultimately is an important part of getting something from listing to contract to closing, uh, updated certificates of occupancy, uh, in particular on the South Fork are, are really, really important and, and, and usually requested, if not by the municipalities themselves all the time as a component of the contract. Huh. You know, I was just thinking, um, uh, I have a client actually uh, who has gone to the town and they said that they cannot find his uh, COs, they have no documentation. And it's been lost. And then he was talking to some his insurance guy and he said, oh, yeah, that happens. It's quite common. Can you help in that kind of situation? Yeah, I mean, there, there are various files or ways to try to recreate a file. Um, you know, it's, it's he's got it's all the, 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 the uh, documents, you know, copies. But um, I think they're saying that's fine, but that doesn't we don't have that. We don't show that. Is there a way to, you know, it seems like he's running against the, this is what he's telling me. So I, yeah, so, sometimes what you can do at that point then is request an updated certificate of occupancy and, and, and assuming everything is compliant and legal on the property that may, 
that may help to solve the problem or help to address the issue if they don't have that update in their file. Right. Okay. Good. So that you answered all the questions. If speaking of questions, if uh, someone has more questions for you, Chris and Lucy, how could they get in touch with you? Uh, they can call the office anytime, 631-591-2267, or email me at cnuzzy at advantagetitle.com. Fantastic. Chris and Lucy, it's always a delight and a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the bustling village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. If you'd like to hear this program again or other podcasts, please go to WLIW.org slash radio slash real life. In the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM, Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org slash radio.